Well, congratulations on uh, being here or on uh, listening in from somewhere. And uh, I think it's a wonderful thing that you are uh, investing in your marriage. Uh, your marriage is worth the investment. Uh, people who are here or who are listening to me uh, have all different kinds of situations, all different kinds of backgrounds, all different kinds of circumstances and personalities, but we have one thing in common. Uh, you want to invest in making your marriage better, and I think that is a wonderful thing. Never forget that nearly 100% of people who walk down a marriage aisle uh, love one another. They believe that they will be among the 50% of marriages that succeed, uh, but sadly, 50% do fail. And that means certainly that it takes more uh, to have a successful and a lasting marriage than love and good intentions. Uh, I mean, having love and good intentions, it's a good place to start, but it is not enough. Last week, we talked about marriage being an institution established by God. Uh, without the principles on which God established and designed marriage, no marriage will ever be what it can be or what it should be. Um, many of you here recognize what I have in my hands uh, as a pipe wrench. Uh, you might not know how to use it, but you recognize what it is. And then here in my other hand, I have a, a two-by-four with a nail in it. And those of you who have worked on stuff have certainly had this happen before where you need something and don't have the right tool and so you just use what's in your hand uh, in a way it's not really designed. Uh, though this pipe wrench will work as a hammer, <laughs> uh, you can drive a nail in with it. Uh, it will not do what it's capable of doing or be what it's capable of doing unless you use it the way it was designed by its creator. Uh, our marriages are like that. God is a creator, God is a designer, and we may have something called a marriage, we may get by, we might tap the nail in a little bit, but if you and I are ever going to have uh, a marriage that pleases the Lord and where we get all the things God designed in it, security, love, loyalty, acceptance, all of those things, we are going to have to do marriage God's way. Last week, we talked about the most basic principles uh, God designed for marriage when he started it in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember them? Uh, we must leave our father and mother, and we must cleave to our spouse. Without both, something's missing. It is not enough to simply leave your father and mother. <laughs> uh, it is also not enough to just cleave to your spouse. God's plan is for both of those things to occur. It is the most basic principle behind marriage. Now, before we begin our lesson, as usual, I want to just review the things uh, that I want to plant uh, deeply in your mind, in your heart. I'm going to review these every week because um, they're very important. Number one, nothing can be taken back that's been done to this point by either person in the relationship. What's done is done. Number two, all that any of us can hope to change is today and tomorrow. Uh, they can change. Number three, if you're struggling, you didn't get where you are in a day, 
uh, you're not going to get out in a day. Uh, but by the grace of God, you can get out and things can be better. Uh, number four, there's only one person you can control in this situation. My request is that you focus on that one person in this class. You will never fix anything focusing on your spouse's faults instead of your own. Uh, one of the old surveys uh, that someone turned in, it had this remark, I hope this class will fix my spouse. <laughs> well, I do too. But only God and your spouse can fix them. Uh, so focus on fixing yourself and ways you can bring a better husband or a better wife to the situation. And whenever you do that, you always put your spouse in the best possible circumstance for them to decide to change themselves. Here's number five. There's always hope as long as God is involved. God is love. If you are at the place where you decided, well, you know what, I never really loved them. Listen, God is love. You can begin to love. If you're at the place where you've come to recognize, you know what, I don't love them anymore. Uh, God is love. You can love again. If you've come to grow to the place where you say, you know what, I never really loved them like I should love them. Uh, listen, God is love. You can love them uh, more and better than ever with God involved. Here's number six. No one's assured to have a great marriage if you were raised in a great home. You can fail. Number seven. No one is destined to repeat the home in which you were raised if it was bad. You can succeed. Number eight, the marriage you're in now is the marriage you're supposed to be working on. Number nine, the person to whom you're married now is the person to whom you're supposed to be married. Now I know numbers eight and nine you may have a little struggle with, I think, Probably uh, nearly all couples, or most couples anyway, uh, individuals go through a time when they wonder if they married the right person. Uh, listen, if you're married to them, it's the right person now, and that's the marriage you're supposed to be working on. Uh, each week, of course, as you know, you get to turn in anonymous questions at the end of class, and, and then each week, you know, I will begin our class with answering some of those questions you turned in. It's really important to me that we make practical applications uh, of the things we've talked about in this, in this class. I think that's one of the things that helps you most. And um, it's not surprising since last week we talked about leaving and cleaving that our questions are linked to those principles. Question number one. How do I ask my in-laws uh, to have us visit them less? Well, you need to ask some questions. First, are their requests reasonable or unreasonable? By the way, uh, their requests, even when they're reasonable, are not always going to be convenient for you. If their requests are reasonable, inconvenience yourself to fulfill them. Every relationship takes time and effort. If their requests are unreasonable, you need to learn how to say no and control your own house. Uh, by the way, uh, you shouldn't be asking your in-laws for anything. Um, each spouse should handle their own family, uh, if not all the time, 95% of the time. Question number two, how do I get my wife to stand up to her mother? or a similar question, 
How do I tell my parents they're too involved in my marriage? Well, depending on who your mom is or who your mother-in-law is or who your parents are, uh, that can be pretty tough. Uh, first, uh, begin to pray specifically about this issue and ask yourself some questions while you're thinking and praying about the situations. Uh, ask yourself this, are your expectations uh, for your uh, mother-in-law or for your parents, uh, are they reasonable? Ask yourself if you're getting anything from your parents or your mother-in-law that caused them to think they have, you know, this right in your life. Uh, by the way, if you have them granny-sitting or doing whatever, which is, is fine, thank God, for those who are able to do that, you, you know what, it's unreasonable for you to expect them to have no uh, influence or say in what goes on. Uh, if you pray about this, think about it. You know, if your mother-in-law or your parents, if they're really too controlling, uh, it's a very simple formula. Uh, you pray about it. You pick two or three good examples. You pick a good time. You pick a good tone. And you have an adult conversation. Uh, when we remain children and refuse to have adult conversations... All these things that we allow to fester in our heart, they just come out wrong in our anger. And nothing basically gets fixed. Get some wise counsel with some specifics. Uh, question number three. How can I change my priority to my husband when I've put our children first since they were born? Uh, nothing ever gets fixed until uh, somebody admits there's a problem. You've done that. Uh, make the situation a matter of prayer for your heart and priority of your scheduling and time and energy and money. Uh, you should privately ask your husband what he thinks. What would he like to see happen? What would he like to see to show that he's more important to you? You know, maybe you will learn he doesn't feel like he's been set aside as much as you think. Maybe this is only a problem of your percep perception. But different men are looking for different things from their wife to make them feel like a top priority. I mean, some men want affirmation. Some want recreational time together. Uh, nearly all men want more sex. Nearly always, by continuing to do the things together and making the effort you made before marriage, you you'll be fine. By the way, making your husband your priority actually helps your children by giving them a better dad uh, and a better example in their mom. Uh, great job coming to this conclusion. Um, question four, why doesn't the Bible specifically say that the woman should leave uh, her father and mother? Uh, it doesn't need to. <laughs> the scriptures teach the importance of marriage. They teach the change in a husband's relationship with uh, his parents. Certainly just simply makes sense that a marriage should also change a wife's relationship with her parents too. Uh, question five. What kind of relationship does God want you to have with your in-laws? <laughs> uh, that depends on your circumstances and your in-laws. Uh, Never forget this. God is not looking for us to cut the parents of either spouse out of their life except for in the most extreme circumstances. 
God wants you and I to have healthy relationships with as many people as possible. I, I get it. So, some people, they really, they make having a healthy relationship with them, they, they make it difficult. And they'll test your Christianity. Uh, get some counsel with the specifics of your situation. Question six, how much time is healthy to spend with single friends? How much time alone is a couple? Well, the answer to that really varies from couple to couple because uh, friends are different sorts of people. Uh, couples and individuals involved in relationships have different needs. And then there's seasons when, you know, people need more than, than usual. Uh, generally speaking, though, uh, husbands and wives should make their best and closest friends other married people of the same gender. When you get married, you ought to either completely eliminate or greatly cut back any close relationship with someone of the opposite gender. Now, I've read, not in the Bible because it doesn't say in the Bible, I've read that couples should spend 15 hours a week together. If you spend a couple hours together each night and then a, a couple of hours uh, on some sort of a date together uh, each week, I mean, it's super easy to get 10 or 15 hours together. I know, some weeks are tougher than others, but there's no magic number. Spend enough time to remain close and make effort with each other at non-sexual times. Question number seven, our last question for today. Um, my spouse's family takes advantage of them. How do I talk to my spouse about this without bashing their family? Uh, first thing you need to do is just be honest about the situation. Are they really taking advantage of them, or are they just more involved than your family? Be sure that your viewpoint isn't born out of envy or selfishness. Listen, it is reasonable for every spouse to spend some time investing in healthy relationships with their family. If there's really a problem, uh, you're going to hear this from me over and over and over over and over again in this class, uh, spend some time praying about the situation. Pick two or three clear examples of what you're talking about. Pick a good time. Pick a good tone. And have an adult conversation about it. Uh, today you should be in your Bible in Luke chapter 19. And uh, I hope you will turn in questions and finish those surveys that uh, I turned out. Those are really important for uh, later on in our class. Luke chapter 19, uh, verse 10. It says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Now, a lot of people have ideas uh, about what they think is going to happen after they get married. I mean, some might say, I thought marriage would make me happy. Or I, I thought my spouse would meet all my needs. So, some may say, I, I thought my spouse would change after we got married. Or I thought I found the right. I thought if I found the right person, marriage would be easy. Or I thought good marriages never struggled. 
I mean, those are all statements of wrong expectations. Wrong expectations that set someone up to be disappointed. We notice from our text, verse 10 isn't really related, but it's just a great verse, one of the great New Testament principles that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, not just to save it, but to seek it. And so you and I as Christian people, we certainly need to be seeking people to tell them of Christ because he wants uh, to save them. But my thought about expectations, it begins in, in Jerusalem uh, with verse 11 with the reason behind the parable Jesus was about to tell. He spoke this parable, the Bible says there, because they thought the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Uh, Listen, Jewish people at the time of Christ were expecting their Messiah to come and overthrow Rome and establish the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is... They viewed what was going to happen was supposed to be an external kingdom with Israel as the head of the nations. It was supposed to be an external kingdom with the Messiah ruling as king over the entire uh, earth in truth and righteousness. And by the way, all these things are going to happen. But the king first needed to die for the sins of the world, to rise from the dead, to reach out to the Gentiles with a message of grace before that part of the kingdom of Christ could begin. You see, one of the reasons people rejected Jesus is he wasn't what they thought he should be. See, they thought the kingdom of God should immediately appear, but because it was not going to happen, their wrong expectation caused them, at least in part, to reject him as Messiah. See, they expected their Messiah to be a great warrior king. He was instead a humble servant and a carpenter. They expected their Messiah, to establish an external kingdom, but he came instead to change the hearts of men, to forgive sins. And today the kingdom of God is within believers. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Have you ever thought about this? Wrong expectations was the biggest reason that most of the first century Jews rejected and crucified their Messiah. I mean, think about this. Jesus was exactly what he was supposed to be. But because he wasn't what they expected, they missed their opportunity to believe and receive him. Jesus did exactly what he was supposed to do. But because they had their own ideas of what the Messiah would do, they missed and rejected their Messiah. Jesus was exactly what God promised the Messiah would be. But because they had wrong expectations of what Messiah would be, they killed him. Wrong expectations affected the Jews, and our expectations greatly impact how happy we are in our marriages and with our spouses. 
Now, before I was a pastor, I was a project engineer for the Dracut company, and uh, the company would decide, hey, we want you to take a look at this project, and we would spend weeks and sometimes months coming up with some estimated cost and some estimated timetable for that project. And, you know, we would meet with the powers that be, and from that moment on, uh, we created the expectations of what was going to happen. It didn't matter if what happened was really good, uh, if it was different from our expectations, uh, it was wrongly interpreted. For instance, I mean, if we estimated that something was going to take uh, one year and one million dollars, if we took 14 months and spent 1.2 million dollars, it was judged as being bad, even if it was good. For instance, if we said it was going to take one year and cost one million dollars, but we spent 10 months and $800,000, we were heroes and it was great. It didn't matter what was actually true. All that mattered was, did we meet their expectations? Please hear this phrase. Realistic expectations are one of the keys to how happy we are in our home and in our marriage. Listen to me. Our expectations have the power to make us either happy or frustrated with the same thing. And so you and I need to be careful with the expectations we create for our spouse, our home, our marriage. By the way, if you expected your spouse to be something different when you, uh, after a wedding ceremony or marriage ceremony, you set yourself up for failure. Listen, the same person that walked down the aisle to say I do, walked out the church or wherever you were, uh, it was the same person. And if you expected them to be something different, suddenly you set yourself up to fail. Have you ever asked yourself this simple question? Where did you get your expectations for your home and spouse from? What did you expect from marriage? What did you expect from your spouse? What did you expect in the sexual relationship God designed for a husband and wife? What did you expect from your in-laws and family? What did you expect about getting along with one another or the time you'd spend together? What did you expect about uh, how easy it would be to intertwine two lives? What did you expect for handling your money, your priorities for adding children to the home? What did you expect? What did you expect to, when children were born and, and they needed discipline? What, what did you expect? What did you expect as far as your spouse's communication? Listen, you cannot change the expectations you had, but you can change the expectations you have for today and tomorrow. Remember, our expectations have the power to either make us happy or frustrated with the exact same thing. Uh, Sharon uh, was home with our children for about 17 years. Uh, she worked as a nurse for about five years, and then a week before our oldest son was born, um, she 
you know, chose to stay at home. It was what she wanted to do. It was what I preferred uh, to, but it isn't something I would have made her do. Um, she was home then for those 17 years, and she went back part-time uh, when our kids were older. And then when we started, uh, you know, Bible Baptist Church, you know, 15 years ago, she went back full-time so we would have uh, some, some income and some insurance. Uh, please hear me. I would have set myself up for failure if I expected everything around the home to be the same after she went to work full-time as it was when she was a stay-at-home mom. I needed to expect less. By the way, uh, her expectations for me should have changed too as my expectations for me. She had a right to expect more. It, listen, it is unreasonable to expect that we both work, you know, 40 hours uh, a, a week outside the home and then I come home and do nothing and she does everything. Now, we don't have time in, in this kind of a setting to discuss what appropriate expectations are in every area of our marriage, you know, that, you know, probably requires some, some personal counsel and, and time, but what are your expectations for time together, for your sex life, for work outside the home, work inside the home? What are your expectations for communication and effort, taking care of yourself, for your husband as a leader, for the wife as a follower? What are your expectations for life together for life, for dinner time together, for hobbies and leisure time? What are your expectations for disciplining your children, for time with your children, time with your friends, time for ministry? What do you expect? Remember, your expectations and mine, they have the power to leave us either happy or frustrated with the same exact thing. And what I'd like to do in the balance of our time is just make some general observations and establish some principles for expectations. Here's number one. Ready? Think about where you got your expectations. Are they from good sources or bad? Did you get them from the Bible? Uh, dedicated and godly Christian people? Did you get them from marriages that have had a lot more time to work on themselves than yours has? By the way, that's an unreasonable expectation. Did you get them from movies or Hollywood? Did you get them from romance novels? Romance, the women get their expectations from there. Did you get your expectations from pornography or sexually explicit material? A lot of men get their expectations from that. Did you get your expectations from the way you were raised? For what you would do if you were your spouse? And, and all of us... Need to watch out for that. Did you get your expectations from comparing uh, with other people? By the way, it's an interesting observation that we generally compare our spouse in the area of their weakness with someone else in the area of our strength. By the way, that's unreasonable. You and I always need to make sure our expectations are reasonable for our age, our circumstances, and for faith in Christ. Some general observations. Turn back a few pages, if you would, in, in Luke while you're there. Turn back to chapter 6. Here's number 2. Have the highest expectations for yourself. Uh, according to Jesus, <laughs> look and focus first in your own eye. Luke chapter 6. 
verse 41. Luke 6, 41. It says, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, when thou beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. You know, I think all of us understand it is more natural and easy to have higher expectations for others than we have for ourselves. Uh, unfortunately, that's the opposite of Christ's message. Jesus taught his disciples to look first in their own eye. Look first for the beam in your own eye. Then you will be able to see clearly for what's clouding someone else's vision. Now it's so easy to have excuses and reasons for our own failures and high expectations for everyone else. Especially our spouse. Listen, you are the only person you can control in any situation and circumstance. Uh, now some people will let you have influence in your life, but you and I can really only control one person. By the way, uh, influence is the most we should really want from anyone God has put in our life. Uh, I don't want to control my wife. In fact... I didn't want to control our children. Now, I do think we're supposed to control them when they're younger so they learn how to control themselves. But ultimately, all we have is influence, and that's all we should want. And if you and I aren't careful, we will catch ourselves trying to control our spouse and people in our life that we have no right to control and we will expect immediate and total submission. Now listen, that's wrong and always leads to disappointment. Have you ever thought about it like this? God has a divine right as the creator to control us. But he will not do so and violate the freedom he designed us with. He could force us to believe. He could force us to obey. He could force us to love him. But he doesn't do any of those. Listen, God does want us to yield control of our lives to him, but he does not force us to do so. God even deserves control in our lives, but doesn't force it on us. Why would we demand control over our spouse? By the way, let me ask you a question. Are you trying to control or manipulate your spouse? Now, there's a lot of subtle ways people attempt to manipulate and control their spouse. Uh, wives, sometimes they manipulate and try to control their husbands by withholding sex or affection or respect. Husbands sometimes manipulate and try to control their wives with their temper or violence or by their absence. Jesus taught us instead when he spoke about recognizing our own faults before we start looking for the faults of others, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull the mote out of thy brother's eye. 
just talking about some principles for setting expectations. Think about where you got your expectations. Have the highest expectations for yourself. Here's number three. Keep yourself in a place that motivates you to always work on yourself and your relationship with God. One of the best decisions Sharon and I made as young, adult, newly married people was just to be in the church, a biblical church, every time the door squeaked open, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Because in effect, what you and I are saying when we do that is, God, uh, work on my life. I, I, I know, I, I've been there. You, you Sometimes you grow weary of there always being the next thing you need to fix and, and never this unending process of growth and self-improvement. and I, I, I know that, but I, listen, when it comes to uh, having realistic expectation, um, this is a great help. You and I will always be better in every relationship of our life when our relationship with God is better. What can I do? Some observations about expectations. Here's the last one. Number four, never expect your spouse to be another one of you. I personally believe this is one of the biggest difficulties in every marriage. Listen, uh, <laughs> let's just be honest. I mean, all of us want people to be like us because, quite frankly, we like us. <laughs> we like ourselves. Uh, I, in the first couple of years of our marriage, I, I made myself more miserable than I needed to be, and I made Sharon more miserable uh, than she needed to be because uh, I was trying to make her into another one of me. You say, why? Because I liked me. <laughs> Listen, uh, the same is true of you. I, I'm just being honest with you about it. I'm just being transparent. Um. There have been some good things that have come out of the feminist movement to help women realize their potential and to uh, get equal opportunity in society to vote and all kinds of things that weren't once there. But there have been some horrific things that come out of the feminist movement also, like trying to tell us all that we're the same. Men and women are of equal value in God's sight but we are not the same. We have equal value in the church. We have equal value in society. We have equal value in the home, but we are not the same. Our roles are not the same. God made the natural differences in the genders because together we become complete as a couple. Have you ever noticed how most good marriages seem to have people who are the opposite in many ways. Your spouse will never want to do all the things you want to do. And that's okay. Your spouse will never want to talk about the same things you want to talk about. That's okay. Your spouse will never look at sex the way you do. That's okay too. Your spouse will never feel the same way about events as you do. That's okay. Uh, the important thing is not that we always think alike, though we do need to think alike on some thing, things. The most important things is that we think together because each of us brings something special and beneficial and unique to the situation.
In fact, if I was picking my uh, personal beef with most recent marriage books and uh, most recent counseling and blogs about marriage or about the marriage relationship, it would be this. I mean, first, they uh, generally ignore or minimize biblical roles. And secondly, they generally attempt to turn the man into a second woman in the house. Who the great goal of these books is for some man to allow his feelings and communication of his feelings to be the ultimate goal of marriage and manhood. I reject that. We've got some real good books on, on marriage in, in our bookstore and the uh, books that were given away uh, free in, in, this, in this class are both good books. They're not the Bible, but that they're good books. Uh, but men and women generally have completely different strengths and weaknesses so that together we are a complete unit. Please hear me, brother. If you turn your wife into the second man in the house, you have not helped your home. You've heard it. And when any wife turns her husband into another woman, the home and relationship are now incomplete. Remember, the goal of marriage is not to think alike, though we should think alike on some things. The goal is to think together. All over this class, all over where people listen to this message, all over are people who are disappointed in your heart with your house, with your spouse, because you have wrong expectations. Fact of the matter is, they're actually pretty good people. They're actually a pretty good parent. They're a good husband, a good wife, but they're just not what you expect them to be, and you have made them and yourself miserable with wrong expectations. There's some who need to give your spouse a break from unrealistic expectations under which you keep them and oppress them. There are others here who you need to give yourself a break from all the unhappiness you've created in your own heart with your unrealistic expectations. Remember, our expectations have the power to either leave us happy or frustrated with the same thing. And all over the place, including right here, are people who expect your spouse to be just like you. And that is a terrible and an unrealistic expectation. Uh, please set yourself and your spouse free. Should have a little blank paper to be able to turn in an anonymous question. Uh, next week we'll begin uh, learning about biblical roles in the home and then spend a couple of weeks talking about practical applications of how to fill those roles. After that, we'll spend a week on a physical relationship of a husband and wife. Then we'll spend some time talking about how to fight fair, how to handle our money, how to resolve conflict um, with our families and, and over our children. I, I hope, I hope you'll purpose in your heart to be here every single week. You have opportunity to be here. I hope if you can't physically be here, that you will uh, tune in either on our podcast or our website or on our live stream. And I hope you will allow God to work in your heart. My heart's desire is that God would use this series 
to help husbands and wives and homes. God has a great plan for you. God bless you. You're dismissed.